Welcome to the Academic Work-Life Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to have a discussion about how we might all live more balanced lives. I believe that maintaining inspiration and not getting burned out are challenging tasks that we face, and bringing more balance will help us live happier, healthier lives while maintaining the high level of productivity that academic lives often require. So, uh, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, Dr. Helen Shimura? Yep. How do, you, how do you say your last I name? I say Shimura. It's Shimura. a Polish last name, but I don't speak Polish, so I'm definitely mangling it from the perspective of a person who actually speaks Polish. Okay. Dr. Helen Shimura. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you did your PhD at UC Davis, mm-hmm. and now you're a postdoc at the University of Alaska in Fairbanks. Is that right? Um, so maybe you could start by just giving us a brief introduction to what you study. Sure. So I'm really interested in seasonality and how the evolutionary strategy that an animal might have you know, evolved to cope with seasonality might affect their ability to respond to contemporary climate change. So we know that with climate change, the timing of seasons is changing in many locations. It might be shifting earlier or other aspects of the season might be shifting later in the year. And I'm really interested in to what extent do animals have the capacity to cope with those changes. Okay. And so given that you're in Alaska, um, there's some seasonality there, right? So do do you see a lot of uh, seasonal affective disorder and things like that in people? Oh, yeah. Well, so I I don't have an academic training in seasonal affective disorder at all, but I will say that people in Alaska are definitely um, very conscious of the changes in seasons because both the temperature change as well as the day length changes are so dramatic. And I think because this is something that everyone experiences in a pretty extreme way, people are a lot more attuned to how their moods are changing and also to be supportive of, of others who might be experiencing you know, a hard time with, with winter darkness, especially though summer constant light also poses its own kind of challenge as well. Sure. Um, yeah, definitely. One of the best pieces of advice I got when I moved to Alaska was that in the wintertime to take a long lunch break and get outside, take a walk get some sunlight when you actually have sunlight to enjoy and that that makes winters a lot more psychologically um, something you can cope with and I followed that advice and have really loved winters actually in Alaska they're a beautiful time to be in the state okay and uh, how long have you been in Alaska Um, so I actually did a lot of my dissertation work in Alaska as well so I've been coming up to Alaska for summers for about six years now um, but I've only lived Alaska in Alaska full-time for about a year, year and a half. Okay. Cool. And where are you originally from? I grew up in upstate New York, actually. Okay. So there are seasons in upstate New York, but they're definitely not the same as seasons are experienced in Alaska. Sure. So, so far, you've, you'd say you've enjoyed uh, living in Alaska? Yeah, no, I love I love Alaska. I mean, the natural opportunities in the state are incredible, both from a personal recreation standpoint as well as a scientific standpoint. Mm-hmm. And um, it's also, Alaska has a very dog-centric culture, which as a dog lover, I appreciate. So I have, a, I, you know, my present to myself uh, when I finished my dissertation was that I would allow myself to become a dog owner since a lot <laughs> of my field work during my dissertation was not compatible with being a dog owner. And yeah, having her, and she loves to run in the snow, so we go skiing together a lot, has been a really wonderful addition to my life. Oh, great. Yeah. Are there any other recreation activities you, you like to partake in in Alaska other than skiing? I, so, yeah, cross-country skiing or skijoring is when you go with a dog, and you actually hook the dog up to your waist using like a, a harness, kind of like a rock climbing harness, and the dog will pull you on cross-country skis down the trail. So that's my newfound 
sport that I love. Um, but of course, I love backpacking, and the backpacking opportunities in Alaska are fantastic as well. Oh, that's great. Skijoring. Skijoring, yep. Skijoring. Everyone should try it. You can do it with a horse, too, if you're really... <laughs> or someone forward. There are crazy YouTube videos of that, but I've never, never embarked on that. Wow. There's um, some sort of, like kite surfing type thing that you can do as well with skis that looks absolutely oh, insane. Wow, yeah, I've never tried that, but yeah, it's, it would be quite a ride. Yeah. Um, so you're in, you're in the Williams lab, mm-hmm. is that right? So uh, just kind of like looking you up, I found an interesting quote on there that I thought um, could really be tied to the podcast nicely, and that is, uh, it's a quote from Rosalind Franklin that, uh, for those who don't know, is famous for um, imaging DNA with X-ray diffraction. Uh, but the quote is, science and everyday life cannot and should not be separated. And, and my, my, my first take of that for the podcast was like, well, you know, I really think it should be separated because, you know, as far as like mental health, just getting away from work. But what I really think she meant is that um, science affects everyday life, right? And, medicine, technology, agriculture, there is there is no getting away from science. Um, and so so a big part of me really uh, agreed with that quote and a big part of me disagreed. But I, wanted, I was interested in, in your take on um, what you think about separating academic life or your research from everyday life and if that's something you actively try to do. Oh, wow. So I think that's an interesting quote and I think that my personal perspective says that there are ways in which I intentionally create a separation between my personal life and my work life, and then there are many ways in which they overlap constantly, and I would never dream of trying to create a separation because I think that separation would be detrimental both to you know, my, my professional enjoyment of life as well as my personal enjoyment of life. So I think the ways in which I see them as connected, which I cherish and would never want to give up, um, are things like... I think being a, as a, a scientist has really honed my skills of observation. You know, I've spent hours and hours and hours being out in the field looking at wildlife, looking at the natural environment, and I just love the process of having like trained my eyes to be perceptive of the world around me, and I feel like that's a skill that I have cultivated a lot, but I'm continually cultivating both in my professional life as a scientist as, and in my personal life as well, just being a person who's outside and curious. And so I think that the curiosity and, and, and the skills of observation that are important to me as a scientist are absolutely a part of my everyday life. And they enhance my enjoyment of just a walk after dinner because I, you know, I'm noticing you know, that snowshoe hair under the brush that I wouldn't have seen five years ago because my eyes just weren't ready to see that. Um, so that's a way in which I think they feed off of each other. Um, I think that it's also important to create separation. Um, so it's hard to, I mean, you know, some people thrive in an environment where they're working a lot or constantly and are genuinely happy doing that. But I think that for many people, there can be a point where working more doesn't make you more productive and it doesn't make you a happier person. And I think that when I find myself kind of reaching that that boundary where I'm not doing high quality work and it's not enjoyable to me, that's when I say, okay, it's time to take a step back. I need to go outside and walk my dog. I need to just go home and eat dinner and have a relaxing evening. And I think, yeah, those are ways in which I intentionally cultivate a separation. Um, I actually, as a grad student, did something where for a little while I tracked how many hours of work I worked 
I did a week, and I also kept track of my personal happiness at the same time. And I realized certain patterns about myself under what situations in which I worked really effectively and which situations in which I didn't work very effectively. And I found, like, if I had, like, say on Monday I got into the office and I was really on a roll and I just, like, worked, we'll say, 10 hours for the sake of argument and it was a really productive 10 hours. There was no way that I could go into the office and do the same thing on Tuesday. Like, my brain just wouldn't be productive the same way the next day. And so I learned to accept, like, okay, well, if you had a great Monday, it's okay if Tuesday doesn't doesn't feel the same way and you don't knock things out the same way. Recognize that you have personal limitations and just, yeah, separate. Go for a walk. Go home early yeah. if that's what you need to do to maintain a balance of personal happiness as well as good work. Then that's absolutely what you should do because you'll come back refreshed and be ready to tackle Wednesday with renewed energy. Right. The advantage of being an academic is there's complete freedom, right? You can work on Saturday and Sunday if, if you feel like it and you don't have to work on Tuesday, yeah. right? So. Yeah. And I think, I mean, to me, I think it's all about using that flexibility to play into your own strengths and to like, you know, help you be the best worker when you need to work that you can. But like, it's, I think it's also important to not use that flexibility as a reason why you have to work constantly. It should be about how you can work more effectively and work better, not how you can work more. Yeah. At least that's how I think about it. I, I like that a lot because I, I know there are a lot of people who work better at night, right? And it's not that you need to work early in the morning through the night, but maybe you take the mornings yeah. off and then work at night. Yeah. No, so for me, when I was writing and I was just like having to push through a lot all at once, I realized like if I had a great writing, if I could get have a great writing morning, it would set me up for success like the rest of the day. And so I made it a priority to like, okay, try to get the hardest problems tackle in the morning because it'll make you feel great and then you'll you'll be able to continue and if if by three o'clock things are getting a little rough well then maybe you answer some emails because those take less of your brain you know um and i think yeah just playing to your strengths and using that flexibility to play to your strengths is a good way to kind of ensure that you work well but also work happy that's great that you collected data on yourself i mean it was really informal data i don't want people people think that i was like tracking up my every move. I did it for about three weeks and I learned a lot about myself in those three weeks and I was like, okay, actually the process of tracking my like all of my work is also making me unhappy, so I've decided I've learned what I need to do to do better and I'm going to stop now because it'll make me happier to stop monitoring <laughs> than I do now. Yeah, huh, that's very cool. Um, so as a postdoc, you're actually in a, in a different stage uh, as many of the guests that we've had so far. So... Um, Presumably, you're in more of a fight for the job right now. Is that is that correct? In assuming, um, I I hope it's not a fight for the job. I mean, I'm definitely thinking about my next career step steps and actively planning for them. Um, I'm I'm lucky when I accepted my postdoc. When I was considering postdoc options, I wanted to make sure that I had at least two years of funding so that I wasn't immediately having to apply to get the next thing the moment I walked in the door. Sure. And so this year is my year to kind of like figure out what it means to be on the job market and to and to kind of hone hone my application so that it can be the strongest that it can be and I'm applying to you know high priority opportunities and maybe I'll be lucky and some of them will work out and you know maybe I'll be like most people out there and I'll be at it again in the future um, but I'm but the what I've told myself is that um, my goal is to end up somewhere where I can do science in a way that makes me happy um, and that's my priority, and I can do that in a number of different ways, and that's what I'm looking for. 
Um, in looking for these jobs, uh, you know, you, you alluded to it there. You you want to you want to do research that makes you happy, and and I think everybody should. That's the beauty of academia is, is you have this complete freedom to study what you want to study. So I guess what is what are the most important things for you? Is it is it being able to ask the questions you want to ask, having certain resources available, or how important is something like location to you? Um, I think the people that have made made or all of my prior research experiences have been the people that are involved in them. Um, I think that working with a bunch of curious, excited, and collaborative people who are really open to, to working well with others, that that's what makes your graduate student experience, that's what makes your postdoc experience, at least in my mind. And I'm approaching the job search in a similar way. Um, so. We'll see what happens. So, so more of like the department that you'd be hired into. Like, yeah. what are they like? How do you fit with them? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. And so, um, is is location less important to you? So, I, you said you, you're a skier. So, if you if you found a job in Oklahoma, <laughs> you really fit the bill. But there are no mountains and no snow. How oh. how do you take that? Um, you know, I actually was just chatting um, with one of the faculty members here, and he, he remarked that one of the amazing things is that people are adaptable, and that you can often, um, you can, working with some raw materials, you can work to create your own happiness. Um, and I'd like to think I'm a pretty adaptable um, person, but I think, you know, it's most of us have personal preferences about how, how the way will work and how the world will work, and it remains to, you know, it, sometimes the realities of the job market may mean it's not your first choice, but... You know, we'll see. I, I, I think that there are a range of places I could be happy, but sure, yeah. And not, not to knock Oklahoma. For, yeah, definitely for not to knock Oklahoma. Oklahoma yeah. I, I just, you know, I, I have this biased view of the world where, where I have to live in the West, mm. and and I don't know. I mean, certainly that limits myself, right? If I'm going to think about future jobs, and if you if you have to stay in the West, and if you if you have to study exactly what you want to study, and those things, you start to really filter out a lot of other opportunities. I mean, I think most scientists are really broadly curious people. You know, we're in science because we love asking questions about whatever we happen to be seeing around us. And so I would like to think that if you're willing to look for the magic that could be anywhere, um, you can probably create your own happiness. Absolutely. Um, so do, are you feeling... Are you feeling more or less pressure to to do things like publish or um, just in general, I guess, overall stress than you did as a graduate student? Or as a, in, this is just in comparing your time as a postdoc to your time as a as a graduate student. Um, I mean, I think the thing that hangs over the head of all graduate students is you know you have to finish that dissertation to to get out of there with your degree, right? Mm -hmm. And so for five, six, seven years, however long it takes you you have the idea of the dissertation just kind of hanging over your head. And hopefully the dissertation is a source of inspiration, but often it's like, oh gosh, I love this project, but I also just need to get it done. <laughs> um, and so I think the wonderful thing about being a postdoc is that you've proven to yourself that you can do it. You did, you finished. And that that feeling of knowing that you have pulled off something substantial and it's not hanging over your head anymore. I mean, that's a, honestly a mental relief. Um, so that's something that I find is very different as a postdoc um, than as a graduate student. Um, you know, I think 
every postdoc out there has um, a challenge kind of adjusting to the realities of the job market and I think we all have kind of our different ways of responding to that and I'm honestly learning a lot about myself as I figure it out so I don't think I have a single answer for you about like what is it like to confront that stress it's very much something that I'm learning about myself yeah do you, do you feel like you've gotten better at a lot of these tasks the, the academic tasks whether that's statistics or writing or these things that has allowed you to be more efficient as you've moved through oh, absolutely definitely you become a lot more efficient with time and yeah you just understand yourself better about your own strengths and weaknesses and how to budget the extra time for the task that will always be a struggle for you or you know all right I'm totally confident in my ability to do this other thing it's this personal strength I can just sit down and knock this part right out and I think yeah just knowing yourself is a huge aid as you transition to a postdoc phase I, I think for a lot of graduate students where we have these responsibilities, whether that's uh, being a TA or you're kind of, you know, you have an advisor and if, if the, is that advisor you're really your boss or that you're, you know, if they ask you for something, um, I think a lot of graduate students just kind of take as much on as possible, sometimes over the top. And, and I think maybe learning to say no might be something that's important. And I'm, I'm just curious how your experience as a postdoc has been in saying no and in, in, in having some freedoms, perhaps you don't have to teach and, and that kind of stuff. Oh man, I think here I have to express a lot of gratitude for my postdoctoral supervisor. Um, I think he really values trying to be a good postdoctoral mentor. And I think, I mean, I think it's really important to say that if you're looking at postdocs, yeah, I would actually have a mentor in, in my supervisor, somebody who's willing to kind of coach me through some of those choices and will keep your best interest as a postdoc in mind as you make those decisions and not just like how can they maximize the value that you as a postdoc can return to them as a faculty member. So I actually, um, as part of my postdoctoral process, we sat down and made a postdoctoral mentoring plan where you kind of ironed out, okay, what are the things that I need to do to really you know, enhance my CV, to gain skill sets that I think are valuable to me, to develop professional connections that I value and I think might be important for my career moving forward. And we kind of figured out, like, what are the things that I'm looking for? What are the kinds of support he feels like he can provide? And we kind of talked about, like, what are the standards by which he thinks this would constitute a successful and productive postdoc? So I think having those conversations and I mean, we talked about this as peers, you know, as mm -hmm. I'm a postdoc who is working for him to provide, you know, things that he values, but also that he is somebody who, as a mentor, has things that I need to, and we're working to figure out how our needs can align. Um, I think that was great, and having a postdoctoral supervisor who recognizes you have to build your own independent scientific identity and supports that process, too, is really key. So I think... I'm trying to wrap this all up to your initial question. I think having a plan and being really explicit with your postdoctoral supervisor and mentor and having it be acknowledged as a double-way relationship where you both are providing resources for each other is really key. That's very cool. So, so how did you, I guess, did you know ahead of time that he was going to be so open and that you were going to be able to build this plan? or And, and how did you find uh, your the supervisor. Yeah, actually, so the story of how you should, you know, always get to know the people you're working with, I actually, my postdoctoral supervisor is somebody who was a postdoc at the same field station where I was working as a graduate student, and we had actually, um, I had told him a couple of years before, I'm like, hey, you know, Corey, if you ever get that faculty job, like, I would love to be your postdoc, 
And three years later, he emailed me and said, hey, I got that faculty position. You're still interested, in, you know, you're interested in being my postdoc. And so literally, you know, getting to know the other scientists around me uh, at the field station where I was working with got me my postdoctoral job. And so I had five years of knowing Corey before I worked for him. So I knew the kind of rapport that we had. And, um, you know, he had gotten an NSF grant that had this commitment to making a postdoctoral mentoring plan a part of it. And so, yeah, we just sat down and was like, okay, we're doing this. And yeah. <laughs> That's great. I think we're, we're almost out of time. So sure. I guess um, if, if you have any last minute comments or, or anything, advice, suggestions for graduate students moving forward or postdocs moving forward who maybe are just a little burned out by it all and, and uh, need some, some advice, oh, cheer up advice. Cheer up advice. Well, you can do it. That's my first advice. You know, we I think every PhD or master's thesis is an emotional roller coaster and there are highs and lows and you can finish and it'll feel great when you do. And I think for people who are considering where they should go to graduate school, because that's the conversation we have a lot, you want to pick, you're picking a research opportunity, but a lot of your research opportunity is the people you're going to work with. And I think like the number one thing to ensuring like both a scientifically productive and a personally productive graduate school experience is pick people who are going to support you as scientists and people. You want to work for a, a group of people who supports you and being a fully-fledged human being who does science within a context of a broader life. And if you have mentors to support that, I think it sets you up well for success. That sounds like great advice because you're not going to get much done if you're, yeah. if you're personally in a bad place. So Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Helen Shimura. <laughs> I think I butchered it again. Don't worry, it sounds great. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, so no worries, happy to.